0: Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Join me in the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 24. We've just came through the Thanksgiving holiday, and now we're moving toward Christmas. And for the next few weeks, we'll be focusing on a Christmas theme. But today, it's not going to be Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, I want to talk to you about the family for a few moments this morning. If you'll recall, a few years ago, we did a verse-by-verse study through the book of Joshua. It took us several months to get through that. So perhaps you will remember some of this from the 24th chapter. But I want to talk to you today about a family challenge that is given from the pen of Joshua through a sermon that he preached uh, as soon as the Hebrews began the conquest of Canaan land. So Joshua chapter 24, follow with me in verse number 14 and following. Joshua writes, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, now notice this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, God forbid that we would forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up out and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage that did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein he went, and among all the people through whom he passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. So may God add his blessings today to the reading of his word as we look at a family challenge. In this final chapter of the book of Joshua, Joshua is no longer a 40-year-old commanding general who is leading the Hebrews through the conquest of Canaan. He is now approximately 100 years old. In fact, he's a little over 100 years old. Time and trouble and the years have etched deep lines into his face. His hair perhaps has turned white and he has shown the signs of aging as any normal hundred year old man would show. And he is leading the children of Israel up through the Jordan Valley to begin this conquest of Canaan land. Again, he is now 100 years old, and he is preparing to deliver his farewell address. These will be some of the last words that he's going to say to the Jewish people. When Moses passed off the scene, the mantle of leadership moved from his shoulders to the shoulders of Joshua, and it would be his responsibility now to get the people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and to begin to divide up the land that was flowing with milk and honey. It had been 40 years. Long, exhausting years for Joshua as he was born a slave in Egypt and grew up in Egypt as a slave. It had been 40 years since he left that captivity. He spent 40 years with the other Hebrews walking through the Sinai Desert. In fact, Joshua was one of only two men that made it into the promised land of the original Hebrews that left Egyptian bondage. It was Joshua and Caleb. Joshua knew what it was like to serve in the rock quarries of Egypt and to build those treasured cities of Pharaoh. So now Joshua's role is to take this mantle of leadership, get across the Jordan River, and to begin the conquest of the Promised Land. In fact, as he makes his way up the Jordan Valley, there are a number of battles that he is involved in. For example, he has to battle that fortified city of Jericho. And the Bible says the walls of Jericho fell down, and and the Hebrews were able to take that city for God. Next, they come to the little tiny city of Ai. And because of the sin that was found in the camp of one man named Achan... The scripture tells us that Ai defeated the Hebrews. Finally Joshua got everything right and then they were able to conquer Ai and then they moved on up and conquered Hebron and all of the other cities that were part of Canaan land. And then the land began to be divided up or allocated from tribe to tribe. This chapter opens up with Joshua reviewing a history of the Jewish people. He kind of starts back where Abraham comes from Mesopotamia, comes down into Israel. He chronicles the time that the Hebrews were in captivity to Egypt. And now he comes to this place where uh, he and the children of Israel are enjoying the prosperity of the promised land. They are living now in this land flowing with milk and honey. The Bible describes it as a land where the fruit trees were plentiful, but they didn't have to plant them. There were wells of water that had already been dug. There were houses that were there available for them. God, as he always does, had kept his promise, and finally, after all of these years, bring his chosen people into the promised land, and the land begins to be divvied up among all of the tribes of Israel. So Joshua, now as an old man, knows that he has not much longer to live. In fact, verse 29 says Joshua died when he was 110 years old. That's my goal. I'm going to live like Joshua. 110 years old, so he knew he didn't have much time left. So he calls together all the leaders of Israel, and he begins to give them this farewell address. And it is a sermon in which the proposition brings the Hebrews face-to-face with a family challenge. It is a challenge to all the families. Are you going to serve God with your life, or will you do something else with your life? It is a challenge that you and I are faced with today. Your life, are you going to let your life matter for God, or will you spend the balance of your life involved in many other pursuits in life without giving God really a commitment from your life? So Joshua calls together these leaders, and he said, I'm going to give you a challenge, a challenge to you, a challenge to all of your families that you will serve God. And they had to make the choice as to what they will do. It has been said that life is made up of the sum total of all of our choices. When we are younger, we have to make the choice of, say, perhaps, uh, who we're going to marry, or if we're going to get married. We make the choice of what career path we're going to pursue, college or not college, what occupation we want to be employed in. We decide where we're going to live, what state we're going to live, what town or what house. We have all of these decisions and all of these choices that we make, and ultimately our life becomes a sum total of all the choices that we have made. And of all the choices that are before us, there are none that are more important than the spiritual dimension of our lives. What will you do with the Lord? Will you make that decision as this challenge is put before you from the pen of Joshua this morning, that yes, you will live for God in a committed life for Him? I want to give you three things about this today as we look at this spiritual dimension of making this decision to purposely and intentionally follow God. First of all, I want you to note that it is a very personal decision. Notice, if you will, uh, the Bible says in verse number 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. Serve the Lord. I want you to zero in on that word serve. You might want to circle that, underline that in your Bible. It appears two times in this one verse. It appears 17 more times in the balance of this chapter. There is a premium on that because what we serve is our master ultimately. In fact, Jesus would say, no man can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or you will love this one and you will hate that one. And if all of our life is involved in embracing and serving the trivial pursuits of life, that becomes our master. So the Lord's desire for us is we make this conscious decision. It is a very personal decision, an individual decision that you have to make for yourself of what you want to do with your life. Do you want to really make it count and live for God? Or do you want to do your own thing and go your own way? Joshua's challenge is serve the Lord. If you look in verse number 15, I want you to underline the word choose. He says, if it is evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve. It is the idea of continuous action. Choose this day, he says, who you will serve. Now, there is the initial choice to live for God, but then there is that continual choice where we have to decide every day if we're going to continue to live for Him or not. I can't make the choice for you. You can't make the choice for me. I can't make that choice for my children. My children can't make it for me. I can't make it for your children. You can't make it for your children. They can't make it for you. It is a very personal, individualized choice as to what you want your life ultimately to be. Joshua says, choose today who you will serve. One of the conditions of these Jewish people to remain in the promised land was they had to fulfill the covenant or keep the covenant that they had agreed upon with the Lord. You'll remember, we spent many weeks and weeks studying Ezra and Nehemiah and how they were taken out of Jerusalem. They lost this promised land because of their own disobedience. And for over 70 years, they lived outside this land that God had promised that would be their inheritance and their possession. Joshua had warned them that that would happen if they didn't follow through with the covenant that they had made with God. So he says, Choose today. Make up your mind in a personal way who you're going to serve. And then notice what he says in verse 15 there. Choose you this day who you will serve, the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you dwell. Now underline these four words. But as for me. He said, I don't know what you guys are going to do. And whatever you decide to do, that's on your record. Whatever you decide to do, that's between you and God. I can't do it for you, Joshua said. He said, but as for me, my personal, individual decision and desire is that I'm going to serve the Lord. In this woke society when right is wrong and wrong is right, and right side up is upside down, and everything is colored gray, and it seems to be the world has whitewashed black and white, and there's no right and there's no wrong, I want you to know God is still looking for some people who will say, I don't care what the woke culture does, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And we're going to live for the Lord. And I'm going to choose to live for God. It's a very personal decision. I told you that it's both an initial decision and then a continual decision. What do I mean by that? You make that initial decision to live for God. We would call that our our salvation experience. You make your initial decision belief in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that He came and He suffered and He bled and He died on the cross for you that He rose again on the third day that He conquered death, hell and the grave that He will wash away all of your sins you make that initial decision to follow Him in fact, the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. There'll never be a more convenient time to make your initial decision to follow Christ than right here, right now, today. Did you know that? The devil will tell you to wait. Wait till you get older. Wait till circumstances are different. Wait till there's a better opportunity. There will never be a better opportunity than right now to open your heart and life to Christ. That's the initial decision. But it is also followed up with a continual decision. What do I mean by that? Every day when you get up, now listen, this is for Christ's followers, those of you who know the Lord, those of us who know the Lord. Every day you get up and you're going to be working in a world where most people don't know the Lord. You're going to be working probably in an environment at the office or at the school or you're living in a dorm or whatever your, your surroundings may be with people who by far and large do not know the Lord. Their language will be different than how you talk. Their interests will, will be different, far, far different. Their desire will be far different than what your desire is. So you have to make that continual decision every day. I can't help what my co-workers do. I can't help what my college roommate does. I can't help what the family across the street does. But my individual decision is going to be a continual decision that I'm choosing to serve God. God. Now that's quite a challenge, isn't it? But yet that's the challenge that Joshua lays out before them. Do make do make up your mind to choose to serve and live for the Lord because listen, life is very brief. In fact, the older I get, the more I realize just how short life is. James says it's like a vapor that appears for a little time and then it's gone. It's true, isn't it? It's like a shadow. A shadow appears just for a brief moment, and then it's gone. Life, he says, is like, the psalmist said, it's like a, a dream. And you think the dream lasts all night, but in reality, it's only a, a, a moment or two. And, and regardless of how long we live in comparison to eternity, life really does go by quickly. I mean, I look in the mirror and I think, what happened to me over the course of the last 58 years? It's just changed so much. I used to have hair that you would not believe. You're not going to recognize me when I get to heaven, and I have it back because the Bible says there'll be no parting over there. So everybody in heaven's going to be bald, but I'm going to have hair, okay? So anyway, I don't know how I get off on all that, but um, uh, Joshua says, I want you to make this choice. Make this choice that today you will serve God because your life is quickly vanishing away. I've told you this story before, I believe, about the processionary caterpillars. You know how those caterpillars, they'll walk in a line, one right behind the other, up a tree trunk or down a tree limb or something like that? Several years ago, scientists did an experiment where they put these processionary caterpillars on the top of a rim of a flower pot. And they put one and lined up another behind them and then another and then another and then another until they made a complete circle. And they stood back and they watched these caterpillars march around this top of this flower pot not knowing what was going to happen but their hypothesis is that they would stop after they got tired and they would go find something else to do but they couldn't be more surprised with what they discovered happened they watched those caterpillars in that procession one right behind the other as close as they could get and they marched and they marched and they marched and seven days later They drop off the flower pot and they die in exhaustion because they didn't know to stop blindly following the one in front of them. We live in a world today that the catchphrase is follow me. Social media, follow me, follow me. And people follow and are drawn to folk like Ariana Grande with 150 million followers or Beyonce with about 150 million followers and they keep up with the Kardashians and they're just on this flower pod in this big circle of life and they're just marching and marching and marching and marching in exhaustion because it's so empty and it leaves them hollow. Listen, if you want your life to matter and to make a difference and if there's somebody that you want to follow, listen, I want to encourage you, young people, old people, everybody in the the middle, you follow Jesus Christ with your life, you'll never be let down. You'll never be disappointed. You'll never regret the fact that you followed him and loved him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Do you know 20 different times in the New Testament, Jesus said, follow me. He stopped by the tax collector's office, Levi, and he said, follow me. And Levi, Matthew, closed his tax ledgers, and he got up and he followed Jesus. He came by and he asked Philip, he said, follow me. He stopped by the Sea of Galilee, and there's where the brothers mending their nets. And he says, drop your nets and come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And these guys turned the world upside down. I like to say they actually turned it right side up because it was already upside down, wasn't it? And they followed Jesus, and their lives made an incredible difference for this world. But it was personal, individual. Joshua says, as for me... I choose to serve the Lord. How about you? Can you say that today? As for me, regardless of what everybody else does, what they say, where they go, what they do, I choose to serve the Lord. So it's a personal decision. Secondly, I want you to note that it's a family decision. If you're listening, say amen. Look in verse 15. He said it's a family decision. He says, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house. Now Joshua could not force Mrs. Joshua to live for God. He couldn't force his children to live for God. He may force them to go to the temple, he may force or to the, uh, to the uh, tabernacle, he may force them um, to uh, listen to him read the word or, or to preach. He, but he couldn't force them to serve God and to choose to serve God. But he could influence them. So he says, as for me and my house, I've made up my mind that I'm going to use all of my influence that I have to try to influence my children and my family to serve the Lord. Our culture today is unraveling, and it has been unraveling for some time. And and, and quite honestly, I think about this, I think, in some regard, I think, you know, if I were a parent of a young child today, I'd be so so worried about the culture in which they're being brought up. But then the other side of me says, no, don't despair because God is the same God in this culture that He's always been and He's raising up a brand new generation that He's going to use to help reach this world with His gospel message. So young families, don't despair. Praise God that He's going to use you and He's going to use your children to do wonderful things in His kingdom and to make a difference in this world. But I recognize that our culture is unraveling. our family units, in many cases, are unraveling. Do you know the family was the first institution designed by God? And God's plan for the family was that the husband and the the wife, the two become one flesh, and that together they honor and glorify and serve God as husband and wife. But you'll remember when sin came into this world, there was a fracture in that husband-wife relationship, and no longer was there unity there. But the Bible says that as a result of sin, that now the woman's desire would be to rule over her husband and to dominate her husband because of her own personal insecurities. And the husband, that he's been changed as well and no longer would want to be the spiritual leader in the family, but would be very aloof when it comes to spiritual things, very distant when it comes to spiritual things, very cold in leading his family to know the Lord and to love the Lord. And many, many men want to hold that position just let somebody else do it, and they're very aloof, or perhaps even become an emotional bully or even a physical bully inside their family. And the whole thing that God had put together in a beautiful way had been fractured. But now God has graciously given us the tools to put that back together, hasn't He? Because God has a plan. Listen, God has a plan for your life individually, He has a plan for your life as a family, God has a plan for your marriage. He has a plan for your children. He has a plan for your home. And what God wants is He wants you individually to honor and glorify Him. That's why you were created. But He wants you and your spouse, your marriage, to be a marriage that honors and glorifies Him. He wants our families, our children, to be family units that honor and glorify God. He wants our homes to be homes that honor and glorify God. Now, I know there are many single parents, male and female, who do an awesome job at raising their children and keeping all the household going, and my hat goes off to you. And I praise God for what you're doing to make your life serve God and to get your children to serve God and to honor Him. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. So families, thank you. Those of you who've made that choice and you've stepped up to that challenge, And said, I can't help what everybody else does. But as for me, as for my family, we're going to be found serving God. Notice he didn't say, as for me and my house without me. Oh no, he's going to lead the way. He's going to be burdened to keep his family close to the Lord. He didn't say, as for me without my family. No, he again has that burden to get them to know the Lord. And he didn't say... As for me and my house, as long as everybody comes along with me, we'll serve the Lord. No. He says this is a personal and a family decision, and we're going to serve God together. I mentioned to you during the announcement time that last Sunday evening, we had such a wonderful time in our Family Life Center and our Thanksgiving service. I mean, it was just a wonderful, wonderful blessing. So inspiring to hear the testimonies of many of you who shared how good God has been in your life. And I've just been thinking about that all week as I've kind of replayed in my mind your words and listening to those testimonies that you shared. And it was just such a rich time. And it's so important. I said this in the first service that we... We try to have more of those opportunities to get the entirety of our church body together in one place. It's becoming increasingly difficult to do because we've kind of outgrown our facilities, but to get everybody back in one place together is truly, truly a special time. So it was such an inspiring time, but I was sharing this with someone else that I think one of the most inspiring things to me about last Sunday was to kind of look around and to see the vast numbers of of young families that were there with children. And to hear those kids, you know, I know mom and dad, you were wrestling them and you were trying to keep them uh, straight and those kind of things. I know that can be exhausting. But listen, I want to commend you for raising your children in God's house, around God's people. And listen, don't, don't ever stop doing that. God will bless you for it. He will bless them for it. He will bless other generations through them. Because of your faithfulness. And just keep doing that. Keep bringing them. I think about these young families. They work long hours. They are running a household. They get their kids to sports and to activities and all of the things that need to be done with homework and house cleaning and everything else in life. And they still make their faith and their opportunities for worship a priority. Keep that up. Keep doing that. You see, the the tendency is, well, other families... Other families, they go do other things, so we'll go do other things. Other families, they're engaged in this activity and that activity. They're not involved in church life, so it's tempting to kind of go gravitate that way. Joshua says, as for me, whatever decision, listen, whatever decision other families make for their children that are not God-honoring, you be different than that, and as for you and your house, serve God. Amen, church? Whatever decisions, make sure you're trying to serve God in your life. Someone has given us the Ten Commandments to families. Let me just read these to you very quickly. Number 10, and I'll go from 10 to 1. Number 10, children are disciplined with love and consistency. Firm but loving discipline keeps order in the home. There is much chaos when kids rule the house. Number nine, money is managed wisely and discussed openly. Money problems can tear a marriage or a family apart. Families teach their children about the importance of biblical stewardship. Number eight, everyone shares in household tasks. That means everybody pitches in. Everybody helps. There's no, uh, 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 there, there's no one who is not to help. Number seven, the family has learned to cope with adversity. There are no trouble-free families. Every family has to deal with adversity, tribulation, and problems. It is how a family deals with these problems that makes them stronger. So don't beat yourself up because you got problems. Man, I don't know anybody that doesn't have any problems, do you? Everybody's got problems. Jesus said that, uh, that in this world you will have trouble. Everybody has trouble. But it is navigating through those times of trouble, those times of difficulty, where you see God come through for you. It increases your faith and strengthens you. Number six, family members laugh together. A sense of humor helps you overlook each other's faults and lightens the tense situations. Number five, each person is treated with respect and kindness. Number four, time for family activities is a priority. Number three, the family eats and talks together regularly. Number two, love is expressed every day. And number one, and the most important one, is that Jesus Christ is the glue That'll hold your family together. So live for Him. It's a personal decision for you, yes. But it's also family, where you encourage the others in your family to live for the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's personal. It's family. And then finally, I want you to know that it's also public. It's a public decision. Look in verse 19. Go down to verse number 19. Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is jealous. Now notice, what does it mean that God is a jealous God? Now it does not mean that God is jealous the way that A husband may be jealous for his wife or a wife over her husband or an individual may be jealous over something that somebody else has. What does it mean to say that God is jealous? To say that God is jealous over us is to say that God loves you with an everlasting love and He knows anything that you put ahead of Him will fail to satisfy you. And anything that you give first in your life, first place in your life, will leave you empty on the inside. And he is jealous because if you will put him first, he knows what he's going to give you is far better than anything this world could ever offer you. So he wants you to have the best. He wants to offer you the best life. Jesus said, I have come that you would have life and that you would have life abundantly. So God is jealous over us. Notice the text says, he is a holy God. He is... A jealous God. And notice, he says, He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. He will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that He has done to you good. What Joshua is saying is listen, he knew that back in the tent of many of these Hebrews who were saying to Joshua, Oh, yes, privately I'm going to serve the Lord. With my family, we're going to serve the Lord. But publicly, they were not so excited about it because he knew back in their tents, on their shelves, in their tents, and in their homes, there were these little carved images that were Canaanite deities. And just in case they thought they might not get enough rain to water the ground, they would have rain gods that they would pray to. Maybe not enough sunshine, to warm the ground and grow the crops so they had sunshine deities that they had adopted from the Canaanites and the unbelievers around them. And they had brought those into their homes. And Joshua knew all about that. And he said, listen, God cannot honor that if you don't give him first place in your life. That this has to be a public thing where you publicly profess, yes, God, God is is the ultimate priority in my life. And I'm going to serve him. And I'm not interested in what the world offers. And Joshua, as the self-appointed leader of his family, He says, as for me, as for my house, as for my family, we want to privately and as a family and publicly, we're going to serve the Lord. So the Israelite folk were holding on to their old way of life. Joshua says, you can't have that. That's the challenge to let go of that. Go to to verse 21. The people said to Joshua, Oh, no, Joshua, we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Therefore put away, said he, the strange gods that are among you. Incline, I love this passage, incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve. His voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. Set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Wrote uh, wrote these words in the book of the law. And took a stone and set it under an oak tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, The stone is a witness to us. It has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. And it shall be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So in other words, he just says... I'm going to write it right here in the margin of the scroll that on this day you have said, it's a personal decision, but I choose to serve God. It's a family decision as for me and my house will serve God. And that it's a public decision. And that I'm going to rid my home of the things that are a distraction from God and compete with my time and my energies for the Lord. And together as a family... We're going to answer this challenge, and we're going to serve God. Eric Lydell, many of you know that name. He was the son of Scottish missionaries to China many, many years ago. In fact, Eric Lydell was Scotland's fastest runner. In 1923, he set a record for the 100-meter dash 9.7 seconds. That record stood for the next 35 years. He was a committed Christian and he would go and he would preach and he would teach every opportunity that he had. He also qualified for the British track and field team in the Olympics in 1924 in Paris, France. His specialty was the 100 meter race. Well, and he received the word that his particular race, the one that he is best in, would be run on Sunday. He said, I'm sorry to inform you, but I cannot do that on Sunday. I'm scheduled to preach at a particular church. He got a lot of flack from the media. He even got some frowns from the British Crown. <clears throat> but Eric Lydell went ahead, missed the 100-meter race so he could preach on that Sunday. The next day, he was scheduled to run the 400-meter race. And there on the starting block, someone came up with a folded-up piece of paper and put it in his hand. And the paper, as he looked at it, said this. It's 1 Samuel 2.30. Them that honor me, I will honor. And Eric Lydell, with that piece of paper in his hand, broke the world record 400-meter for 47.6 seconds. Later, he returned to China. Continue to preach the gospel. In 1943, he was incarcerated in a Japanese prisoner of war camp where he would spend the final two years of his life. Then he would die. Lydell said in his last words, We are all missionaries wherever we go. We either bring people nearer to Christ or we repel them from Christ. He would say in the words of Joshua, I can't help what everybody else does. I can't help what you do or what the world's attitude is or what the world's passions are. But as for me, as for my house, as for my family, we're going to serve God. Amen, church? The world could be turned around if we all would continually make that decision, initially and continually. As for me and my house... Will serve the God. Will serve the Lord. Now listen. Joshua. Joshua was born in Egyptian bondage. Did you know that? The entirety of his life, uh, the first part of his life, was spent um, in rock quarries in Egypt. Until finally, um, liberation came and he was able to leave Egypt. Via the Red Sea when it was parted. So Joshua started out as a slave. And how does his life finish? In the Promised Land, where God had given him everything that his heart would ever dream of and bring him into his forever family there and plant him in the Promised Land. So you and I, the Bible says we're slaves, we're born slaves to sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I want you to know God in His marvelous grace sent Jesus to die for us, to take all of our sin, to wash it away, to bring us into His family, and to put us on course for that promised land. And one of these days, listen, if you know the Lord, if you walk with God, you live for Him, you'll be with Him forever and ever and ever. But you got to make that decision now. Personally, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. With my family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And publicly, but I don't care what everybody else does. We're going to serve the Lord.